God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege it is for us to approach you and to hear you speak to us. God, we thank you for your word in which you have revealed yourself so clearly for us, without which there would be no way for us to understand who you are or how we would approach you, let alone to know how we can have a relationship with you. God, we pray, Lord, that even today as we come to your word, we pray that you would humble our hearts, give us years to hear the words you speak to us, and we pray that you would profoundly change our heart through your spirit so that we would be willing to obey everything that we read in your word. We ask and pray all this, Lord, for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may or may not have heard of Qin Shi Huang. He was the first emperor of China who ruled for a decade from uh, 221 BC. He was an extremely wealthy and powerful man. And by the end of his reign, the emperor had managed to accomplish some amazing things for China. He had united China, created a uniform Chinese identity by harmonizing language and writing. He even increased the speed of travel in China through the creation of the imperial road network. But the emperor was also extremely paranoid. You see, he had a vast empire, and he would do anything he could to keep it in place. So he worried about people talking behind his back. He hated people talking about the past, and he hated the different kind of philosophies that the Chinese people believed at that time. Suffice to say, it was a bad time to be a historian or a scholar in China during his reign. The emperor was ruthless with those he considered to be his enemies and with those that he thought was out to undermine him through their writings. So as a result of his paranoia, he burnt all the books in China that were not related to his reign. He buried 400 scholars alive and he had hundreds more killed. You see, it was his wealth, his position that gave him the terrible power to oppress those that were under him. Now, some of you here this morning might be in a situation where you feel like you are being oppressed by someone in a position of power, a position of influence. And you might be wondering, how should I respond? What is the Christian response to make in the midst of the trouble that you find yourself in? Well, this morning, we will turn our attention to Psalm 49. And in this psalm, we will see that the psalmist too finds himself in a situation much like the poor scholars in that story, where the rich and the unscrupulous were using their wealth and power to oppress the poor. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 49. This is how the psalm begins. Hear this, all peoples, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. 
the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? So by way of introduction, the way the psalmist starts the psalm is by calling all people to listen to him. This is a psalm for everybody. It doesn't matter if you are rich or poor, low or high. There is application in the psalm for everybody, no matter who you are. And notice what the psalm is about. In verse 3, he says that the focus of the psalm is on wisdom and understanding. It is like the psalmist is telling us that if we pay attention to the meditations of his heart, to what he is just about to say, then we will walk away having gained wisdom, having received understanding. And so as we come to this psalm this morning, let us come with attentive ears to what he has to say, ready to apply the wisdom that we are going to learn in the psalm in our lives. In verse 3, we come to the heart of the psalm. And at the heart of the psalm is a question that the psalmist is trying to process. And the rest of the psalm is the psalmist working out the answer to this question that is on his mind. He says in verse 5, Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? In other words, the psalmist found himself surrounded by people that were out to get him. These were people who trusted in their wealth, people who boasted in their riches, and people who thought that they could use their wealth to oppress the poor. It is tempting, isn't it, when we find ourselves in a similar situation to ask the question, well, how can I fix this problem in my life right now? How do I remove myself from the circumstances that is causing me trouble? How do I escape the people that are trying to oppress me? But do you notice that is not the concern of the psalmist here in the psalm? The psalmist is more concerned about the state of his heart than escaping the trouble that he finds himself in. That is why he asks, why should I fear? He is more concerned about trying to have a godly perspective, the right attitude, as he finds himself experiencing the trouble that he finds himself in. How many of us find ourselves asking that question when we are surrounded by trouble or problems around us? How many of us are concerned about asking what is the state of our hearts, the condition of our hearts, and how do we respond in a godly way? Well, as the psalmist solves this question, or this riddle, as he says, he gives us two very valuable pieces of information and advice. And very simply, these are, number one, wealth cannot save us, and we will see that from verses 5 to 12. And number two, only God can save us, verses 13 to 20. Wealth cannot save us, only God can save us. Let's read 
verses 5 to 12. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they call lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. You know, people with wealth can seem very powerful, can't they? It might seem that they can get anything they want in this world. They can acquire anything that they put their mind to. So naturally, it is easy for us to fear the wealthy because we think that they have the power to hurt us or they can bend us to their will. So no wonder it is so tempting for them to put their hope and trust in their riches and in the power that it gives them. But it is not just the wealthy who are tempted to trust in their wealth. So you might be sitting here this morning going, well, I don't really have to worry about this because I don't have a lot of wealth. But you don't need to be rich to trust in riches. Even though you may not have enough now, you might be thinking that if only I had enough, then I wouldn't have to worry about anything. Or you may believe deep down inside that money can truly buy you anything in life. That if only I had X amount of money, my future would be secure. But you see, this is exactly the same problem. Anyone can be tempted to trust in their wealth, whether you be rich or poor. And this is the problem the psalmist is trying to combat in this psalm. And the way he does it is interestingly by talking about death. You see, thinking about death can do wonders for us to help us have the right perspective on wealth. Think about it. What do you think is the most precious commodity in the world? Wouldn't you say it's life? How much would you spend to extend your own life? Or more importantly, the lives of the ones you love, your family, friends, billions of dollars, countless hours are being spent on finding ways to stave off death and extend life. So you may have heard that Google has recently invested hundreds of millions of dollars in a research and development company called Calico, whose main aim, as Time magazine puts it, is to cure death. They haven't succeeded yet. You know, wealth can truly only be all-powerful if it can find a solution to the problem of death. The psalmist in our psalm this morning from verses 7 to 9 tells us, reminds us that all will die. It does not matter whether you have riches because the price of our lives is very high. And God is not impressed with our wealth. 
and we can't bribe him or compel him to add a single moment more to the time that he has destined for us. It does not matter if you are the richest, most powerful person in the world. All the wealth of this world collectively taken together will not be enough to pay to extend even one life. No one will ever have enough to purchase immortality. All will die. The psalmist not only wants us to know that all will die and that there is nothing we can do to stop it, but then he goes on to say in verses 10 to 12 that we won't be able to take any of it with us when we die. It does not matter how much we have made. It's all temporary. We won't live forever to enjoy it forever. So he says in verse 10 that the wise and fool must perish and must leave their wealth to others. Now you may think, well, that's not so bad, leaving your wealth to the people that you love. But you see, the point that the psalmist is trying to make here is he's trying to show us how futile the pursuit of more and more wealth is, the longing for more and more wealth is. And Jesus highlights this very same point in the passage that was read earlier today from Luke chapter 12. In that story, we heard the rich, successful man spent all his life trying to make money and he was just getting ready to enjoy it when his time was up. So God very accurately calls him a fool. Have you heard the saying, he died penniless? It's a saying about someone who died broke. That is, when he died, he had nothing left to his name. But if you think about it, you will realize that is the way we all die. We all die penniless. We all go empty-handed. Remember the story that I started off with about the Chinese emperor? Well, the story continues. You see, even though he was wealthy and powerful, he was very afraid of dying. He had amassed all this wealth, and he was afraid to leave it all behind when he died. So he expended wealth and the lives of others to find a solution to the problem of death, to find a magic elixir or a potion that was going to make him immortal. And for some reason, his physicians suggested that mercury will help him live longer. And so in a cruel irony, he died of mercury poisoning at a very young age of 49 years old. But even in his death, it seemed like he was in denial of his mortality. He had commissioned the building of a giant mausoleum that included a map of China, replicas of his earthly palaces, and a famous terracotta army of 8,000 clay soldiers. And these were all placed in his tomb. And the reason they were there was to ensure that he would have riches and his armies with him in the next life as well. You know what? They were all forgotten till about 1974, some farmers uncovered the forest of terracotta armies. He didn't get to take it with him when he left. We may live in huge mansions. We may drive expensive cars. We may wear designer wear every day but we won't be able to take it with us when we die. All of it will be gone. We may hold on to it tightly now, but we won't be able to keep it for long. 
We may call lands by our own names, but it doesn't matter when we die. Because as the psalmist says in verse 11, the only piece of real estate that we will be able to call our home when we die will be our graves. And in our graves, there will be no difference whether we are rich or poor, wise or foolish. You know, I had this uh, thought when I visited a cemetery in Turkey last year. Um, we went to this place where there were dozens of graves that probably represented all kinds of people, important ones, the nobodies. But in that cemetery, they all looked the same. This is what the psalmist wants us to know today. In fact, the psalmist goes on to say in verse 12 that even in all his glory, man is no different to a beast when he dies. Any glory that man enjoys is but just for a moment, and then it's gone. Let me pause and ask you, does this offend you? Does it offend you to think that all your possessions, your accomplishments, could amount to nothing in the blink of an eye? That all you are working for right now, the physical things that you are trying to acquire and accumulate, will probably not matter in a few years. Now, these are difficult things for us to swallow, especially living in a place like the UAE, where so much importance is given to what we own and what we achieve. It is hard for us to think that it's all just temporary. But really, in light of death, we are able to see that it is all meaningless. You know, when I was thinking through this text, I was uh, so convicted. Me and my wife were uh, talking about purchasing a home back in India. You know, we are not citizens here, and uh, we, we know we will have to leave here someday. And owning... Land in India right now would be great investment. It would give us great security, especially in our old age. But reading through this passage, it was sobering to think that all our investment might not matter. That we may not live long enough to enjoy the fruit of our clever financial decisions. Now, just to be clear, I am not saying that it is wrong to own a home or even to enjoy stuff in this world. But I do think it is important for us to examine our hearts to see if we look to money and possessions to provide us security. And that's really hard to do. We must be ready to ask ourselves some hard questions. Let me give you a few questions to think about. Do you think that if you only had a certain amount of money in the bank, then you could be truly happy and that all your troubles in life would go away? Do you find yourself coveting what someone else possesses or someone else's life? Are you careful to project a certain economic status in the way you dress or in the car you drive? Do you find yourself going into debt, maxing out your credit cards, to keep up the illusion of wealth that you have created? Do you feel very self-conscious about how little money you have or how little money you make? Do you find that you don't want to sometimes invite your friends over 
because you fear that they would look down on you if they saw the way you lived? Do you feel a sense of entitlement to your money and use it in a way that may cause others to feel conscious about how little money they have? Finally, are all your friends people of the same economic status as you? Friends, if you find yourself saying yes to any of these questions, then you need to hear the wisdom of the psalm. It might seem like a strange solution, but really, thinking about death can help us have the right perspective towards wealth. And having the right perspective towards wealth, in turn, can help us view people not according to their social and economic status, but that we will be able to see them as how God sees them. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7, people are described as grass that wither away so quickly. So if that is who we really are, how foolish then is it for us to lord it over one another because of our wealth? You see, the church should be different to the world outside. I want to encourage you all to strive to care for and love one another across the barriers that you see in the world outside. To look for opportunities to serve all different kinds of people in your church. To invite people into your homes, even if it might be embarrassing to you. Then, I want to encourage you to commit to holding each other accountable about how you view your wealth and how you spend your wealth. Consider carefully what it is that you invest yourself in and your money in. Don't let money have a hold on your life. And remind one another that ultimately wealth has no power because it has no power to give life. It is clear, as we read in the psalm, that wealth cannot save us. That brings us to our second point. Only God can save us. Let's read verses 13 to 20. The psalmist continues. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry away nothing, nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Have you ever heard people say that once you die, you are just food for worms? You know, in some ways, they are right. But what they mean by that is that you are done when you are dead. That it is the end of the train journey. There is nothing else left. You have completely ceased to exist after you die. You know, the Apostle Paul addresses people like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. And he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, 
then eat, drink, and be merry. And he is right. You know, a lot of people live their entire lives just eating, drinking, and finding pleasure because they believe that death is truly the end. However, the psalmist wants us to know this morning that it is not the end. In fact, there is an eternity of living that comes after death. But there are two very different kinds of lives. One that is unbelievably terrible and one that is unimaginably wonderful. In verse 14, the psalmist talks about this place called Sheol. Now, Sheol is referred to many places in the Psalms. Here, Sheol refers to the place of eternal suffering, very simply, hell, the place where those who rebel against God deserve to go. And the author describes the people that are headed to Sheol as sheep. Now, if you have grown up reading the Bible, you will um, know that this is a metaphor that is used to describe people to often communicate how helpless and vulnerable they are. But of course, sheep need shepherd. And in the Bible, the image of shepherd is often used to refer to God, who is the good shepherd, who leads his people to find green pasture, life. But not so here in the psalm. If you notice, he says, death is their shepherd. Death leads a sheep ultimately to their ruin and destruction. So in verse 14, he says, their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. You know, the person in the Bible that talked most about hell was Jesus himself. And he describes this place as a place of unending suffering and eternal torment that awaits anyone that would find themselves there. It would be better for those who are appointed for Sheol if death was truly the end. It'd be much better than suffering for an eternity under the judgment and condemnation of a holy God. Who are the people that are headed to Sheol? In verse 13, the psalmist says, the people that are appointed for Sheol are people who have foolish confidence. That is, these are people that have put their hope and trust in their wealth and they hope that their wealth will save them. So in some ways, it is not surprising that these people find themselves in Sheol. But what is surprising is what the psalmist goes on to say in verse 15, that it is not just them that will find themselves there. But he says that even his own eternal destiny is under the power of Sheol. So the psalmist may not have wealth, but that does not exclude him from facing the same fate as the others. In Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul describes that all people in this world are by nature children of wrath. That everybody, all of us in this room, he says, we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, each and every one of us, whether we be rich or poor, wise or foolish. And we all deserve to be judged by God for it. And the reason is because we have not offended just anybody, but we have offended a holy God who does not compromise on his justice who cannot compromise on his holiness. It would be foolish for us to think that we can live 
in rebellion against God, the God who created us and holds us accountable without there being any serious consequences for it. No, we all deserve to face God's wrath for eternity. I wonder if you believe that about yourself. Do you see that your actions, your words, and your thoughts condemn you before God? In fact, your very nature itself, your sinful nature, condemns you before God. Do you realize that you too deserve this fate and no less for the way you have lived your life? We all deserve God's wrath. Thankfully, the psalmist doesn't end there. In the midst of all this talk about death and Sheol, we come to a verse that gives us great hope. You know the two words in verse 15, but God changes everything entirely. But God changed the eternal destination of the psalmist. If you can, and you don't mind, I would encourage you to mark, it, mark this verse in your Bibles. Verse 15, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol and he will receive me. What an amazing verse that is. You know, ransom is uh, not a word that we are used to hearing today, except in the movies. Uh, we don't think about it that much. But it is a word that comes up very frequently in the Bible. Ransom simply means to purchase freedom for someone in captivity or bondage by paying a price. But remember, we read in verse 7, the psalmist says, no one can ransom another person's life from death. He's referring to physical death back there. Because the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. But God did something even better. Something that no man could ever do. He ransomed us, not from physical death, but from something even greater. He ransomed us from the power of Sheol. You know, we can appreciate this much more than even the psalmist who wrote the psalm because we stand on this side of the cross. God did this by sending his own son into our world. You know, so when Jesus comes into this world, he talks about his purpose of coming this way. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he says, to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, Christ is our ransom. Christ came to give his life to redeem sinners like you and me from the power of Sheol. He was unjustly condemned to death even though he was innocent. And on the cross, God poured out his anger on him. All the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God, he bore on the cross. His blood spilled on the cross was the price that was required to set captives like you and me free. He was the perfect lamb of God, but he was slain so that we might live. But friends, 
he did not remain dead, but proving to the world that he has paid a ransom in full, he rose from the dead. And now we know that there is nothing more left to be done for our freedom. He has paid it in full. Friends, let's know that all we need to do is to repent of our sin and come to Jesus in faith alone and we can be redeemed. Christian, this is the great work that God has done in our lives and we should meditate on this. Meditate on God's extraordinary love that we have experienced in our lives. We are sinful people who did not deserve it. But God did something amazing for us because of his love for us. You see, God did not stop at just rescuing us from the power of Sheol. Do you notice in verse 15, he does much more. The psalmist says that God will receive us. So Christians might be poor in this life. But they are rich, infinitely rich in eternity because they will be with God. We are not just rescued from death, but we are rescued to life, life abundant. You know, the other day I was talking to a non-Christian friend of mine and I was telling him how much I look forward to the day I die. And he thought that was strange. But I told him that the reason I was looking forward to the day I die is because I will get to meet Jesus face to face then. He was so surprised to hear that I was so confident of what was going to happen to me after I die. He personally hoped that he would meet God, but he was not sure if he would. The idea that Christians can be assured of spending eternity with God as his people is mind-boggling for those who are not. Friends, I pray that we too will see how amazing this is and that it would fill our hearts with great joy. God has prepared for us an eternity that far surpasses anything that this world has to offer, anything that UAE has to offer. And we can look forward to it with confidence, with eager, expectant hope. It is because of God's great promises that we read in Scripture in passages like this that we need not fear death anymore because death for us is only the beginning of life. As he concludes the psalm, the psalmist reminds his listeners in verse 16 to 20 to not be afraid of the wealthy. Though they may be oppressed, they need not fear. He says in verse 18 that the rich man might count himself blessed, but he might still find himself in Sheol when he dies. You know, this flies in the face of the way the world describes what it means to be blessed. You know, this is what all the prosperity gospel preachers get wrong. God's ultimate blessing to us is not in the form of money or material possessions. Our best life is not now. It is yet to come. Some of the most blessed people I know are poor, suffering with ill health, or languishing in prisons not very far away from us. But they are blessed because Christ has ransomed them and because they know what's awaiting them when they die. 
Friends, do you find yourself giving into fear when faced with people who are more powerful than you, more wealthy than you? You know, it can be really difficult for us to believe these things that the psalmist is telling us when we find ourselves in a situation where we are helpless or we are being bullied by people in positions of power or influence. But these things are still true, and we don't have to fear them because we know the end of those who trust in their wealth. Again, the psalmist is not saying it's wrong to be wealthy. Or even as he says in verse 18, to get praise for ourselves when we do well. But he wants his listeners to have the right perspective on life and death, wealth and poverty. And finally, he ends in verse 20 by telling us that a person who doesn't understand these things that he has just spoken about in the psalm, well, they are no different than a beast that perishes. So let me ask you, do you understand these things? Or more importantly, does your life show that you understand these things? What would it look like? What would it change in our lives if we did understand these things? Well, we would be freed from worrying about finances. Even when we lose our jobs, we won't feel hopeless or desperate because we know that our future is secure with Christ. We don't have to pressurize our children to be highly successful or financially secure because we know that the only security that ultimately matters is our eternal security. If we don't put our confidence in our wealth, we will find ourselves being able to give away our money more freely because we know that there are more precious things awaiting us in heaven right now. In our workplaces, when we suffer injustice, we can suffer with humility because we know that Christ has suffered to save us from God's justice. We will be able to proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus because we know that any opposition we face will be nothing compared to what we were spared. So ask yourself, does the way you live, the way you interact with your family, the way you interact with others in your workplace, reflect that you are someone who has been ransomed from Sheol by a holy God? If not, I want to encourage you to examine your life, see what it is about these truths that you are not believing or seeing. Finally, I want to ask you, how will you die? Will you die rich in this world but poor in the next? Or will you renounce this world and trust in Christ to save you? Be encouraged, dear brothers and sisters, that if you have trusted in Christ, you have stored up for yourselves treasures in heaven that are greater than you can ever dream or imagine. As I was preparing, this psalm, uh, preparing the sermon for the psalm, I came across this hymn um, by the hymn writer Francis Crosby. Let me end by reading this out for us. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, wealth that can never be told, Riches exhaustless of mercy and grace, precious, more precious than gold. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ, 
Who shall their greatness declare? Jewels whose luster our lives may adorn. Pearls that the poorest may wear. Precious, more precious. Wealth that can never be told. Oh, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Precious, more precious than gold. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you that you have ransomed us at a great cost to yourself. It required the life of your son, whom you loved dearly. God, we pray that as we think about that and meditate on it, that you would enable us to treasure Christ more than anything else in our lives. God, we pray that our lives together as a church, would show the world outside that we are people who have truly been ransomed from the power of Sheol. We ask that you would do all these things in our life for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.